0: this show was made at access radio taranaki with help from new zealand on air to find more local content go to our website accessradiotaranaki.com rolling, rolling,
1: rolling, 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 rolling.
2: Good morning, New Zealand, and to all my listeners in Access Radio Taranty, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay, Arrow Radio Masterton, and I'm your host, Neville Wallace, broadcasting from Hara for the next 30 minutes. So let's get into it with Dr. Jacqueline Rath and I discussing the dairy farmer drop and payout and its effect on farmers and the New Zealand economy. Well, this morning I have the inimitable Dr. Jacqueline Roth to discuss what's happening within the dairy industry and to shed some insight as to why this daring season is going to be a difficult one. Good morning, Jacqueline.
3: Hello, Neville. Lovely to be talking with you.
2: (laughs) Jacqueline, you were the bearer of new news. Would you like to give our listeners some of those facts that you've got in the way of cost of production and running a farm nowadays?
3: Right. So most people have heard that the milk price forecast from PONTERRA for this season has been put now at seven dollars a kilo of milk solids. And it's important, as we tear our hair out wondering how we're going to manage with this, to remember that Fonterra, as is constrained in terms of what it can pay. By the Dairy Industry Restructuring Act and the whole calculations that are around the milk price. And so when the global dairy trade indicates a forecast, a price, the forecast is done and Fonterra has to warn farmers that this is all it can pay. However, it does have a return on the shares that can be used, and when the milk price is low, the returns on the shares usually go up, but that will be looked at in the future. Now, the problem for me is that the day before Fonterra announced the $7, the big ag first, that's one of the, you know, the big consultancy firms in New Zealand, released the cost of production for the Waikato Bay of Plenty year for the season, And they reckon $8.29, which, of course, means that farmers will be $1.29 out of pocket. At this stage in the season, we're um, we're quite a long way through calving for the first three weeks on our farm, for instance. And we don't want to be compromising our cows in terms of their future yield. So they're fed, they're looked after, all of those things have to go on. And we know that farmers are working very hard, and it may well be that they're doing so for a loss. And that's pretty disheartening when they're working the long hours that are caused by the fact that we're short of labour. So the farmers themselves are working very long hours.
2: You touched on something there, Jacqueline. What is the state of the animal condition with what you've seen on your travels throughout New Zealand lately, Jacqueline?
3: Oh, farmers are looking, good, they look after their animals. Our animal, farm animal welfare is rated very highly amongst the, around the world. Uh, right at the moment, across the country, there is, well, it's been so wet, it's very difficult to avoid mud. But yeah. farmers, in general, they want their animals to be coming in to the herd to start milking when they drop their calves in good condition, so that they can um, be milking uh, for the season. And so on the farm in which I am involved, we do feed to enable their genetic potential. And at this stage of the season, anything that drops the feed will have implications later in the season. And so we're just, everybody's trying to optimize animals at the moment. Of course, because they are, with its animal welfare, they are something that one looks after. That is almost always the case. So... Focus on the animals, and, of course, that means this is part of why we've got few greenhouse gases per kilo of milk solids. Our animals are looked after and fed very efficiently. So the other problem for farmers is the interest rates. So fertilizer costs are just coming off in terms of they're going down slightly, uh, but the interest rates are high, and they are higher in agriculture or any business than they are in domestic so your house mortgage is at a lower interest rate because it's guaranteed by your salary, whereas in any sort of business, really there's more risk involved for the bank, so they hike the interest rate to adjust for the fact that you don't really know what your income's going to be like. And, of course, all the banks now are saying, Boy, Uh, even though you've the dairy industry has been paying down debt um right you might not be able to pay anything except interest this year and they are saying we will work with you to the farmers to ensure that you don't go to the wall and neville we have been here before yes When, when the subsidies came off And at that stage, the research says about um, the average sheep farmer had 42% of its income in subsidies. The subsidies were removed very quickly, and all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, about 1% of farms were assisted into other ownership by the banks. That is, the bank said, sell up,
2: mate.
3: Everybody else survived.
2: Yeah, you were talking interest rates. Now, how well will Fonterra pay out? Because we noticed over our time, milking cows, working with the dairy company, at that time of the year, was Kiwi was one, and I see New Zealand dairy cot would probably be the same. They don't pay out a heck of a lot of that money to the farming so that they can uh, make their own books look good too. <laughs>
3: Now, there is, has been a bit of that going on with some of the meat companies um, declaring record profits, and that's a bit of a worry if they're a cooperative. Pontera did say that it had made more profit than last year, and I just think that this year they really need to be trimming their cloth accordingly to make sure that they're not getting profit at expense of the farmers. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll do that two years running. And so, yes, they need to be looking at things. Other companies need to, too, and the banks are feeling slightly um, concerned that their Australian owners are uh, feeling good about record profits. But, of course, it's the New Zealand bank people that have to deal with the farmers, and they see what pressures they're under. So, yet we're getting all sorts of supportive messages from all sides but every company is feeling pressure at the moment and trying to maintain, for instance, their the cooperatives, trying to maintain a company that can provide the services that the farmers need, but without reducing the strengths of the farmers' uh, balance, bank balance.
2: Now, Jacqueline, you've been overseas, you travel. I've heard it said see- a lot just lately, That we've only got ourselves to blame for the simple reason that we've exported a lot of dairy stock to China and are getting plenty of milk from those animals nowadays.
3: Well, it's quite difficult to tell what is really going on in China. We get to see what we're allowed to see. So certainly, we have um, done some deals and livestock over there and showing them how to process. There are a lot of people in China. And this idea that there's um, too much fresh milk in, in China when they're actually more conditioned to powder because of lack of refrigeration and those sorts of things is a bit of a surprise to me. So I'm mm-hmm. expecting more light in that to, be going, to be shone soon on what is really going on.
2: Now, one of the things you did mention was how can government liberate farmers to be more productive so New yes. Zealand can reduce their national debt? And, well, let's face it, they're not going to get that money this year either, are they?
3: <laughs> you are bang on. So the first calculations were that uh, farmers would be paying tax at 18 cents a kilo of, on milk solids, and that's not going to be happening. So the government going further into debt saying it's all all alright because this is only what a normal developed country has is a fair old. Nonsense, because we are the only developed country that actually requires, or, or has its economy, export economy, based on primary production. And the regulations that are going on farmers are actually meaning that their productivity is going backwards. They're spending, Neville, 30% of their time on paperwork. And of course, that's in the evenings after their full day on the farm. Mm-hmm. And it's just they're feeling constrained and wondering what on earth they're doing this for. So I think, and I think the government and all this lovely lolly scramble of let's have free everything, including some new tunnels under Auckland and all of those sorts of things, I don't know where, how they think they'll pay for it because the export economy is getting uh, reduced horrifically.
2: Yes, I can see it that way too. So what role does supermarkets have when it comes to farm production promoting, our farm produce instead of imported produce.
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting point,
3: because they've said that they don't want to have colony cages, they don't want anything to do with eggs that's remotely connected with cage, and a whole lot of people who've moved from battery cages to colonies are now thinking, well, that was a waste of money, and... I, and this is all the supermarkets saying it's animal welfare, it's what consumers want. At the same time as importing uh, products from all around the world, and let's think of pig products. They're importing pig products from places which use techniques like farrowing stalls and, and sow crates that are illegal here but it increases the number of piglets or the productivity per cell. So that means that the bacon, pork products, whatever, are cheaper, and the supermarkets import it and stock it. And I think they should be saying, actually, we don't do that because we're holding by a particular standard of welfare. And I think they could be looking at things like grain and, at the moment, We've got peaches coming in from South Africa, Vietnam, China. Uh, Do we need peaches at this time of the year? Well, they come in cans. People aren't looking at the provenance in the way that they... Good if they wanted to support New Zealand producers and make sure we do have a domestic economy, um, this domestic supply of food, which other countries do through subsidies, and then we get back to subsidies. Oh dear I've only ever met one farmer who actually wanted a subsidy. They want to be paid a fair for their good quality product and they want to do that product produce it legally and some of the regulations around what we do here are extreme far higher far more stringent perhaps would be a better word far more stringent than the rest of the world and I'm not convinced it's actually resulting in the right behaviours.
2: behaviours in many cases it could be a shear milker or contract milker correct me what are some of the considerations, implications involved here with these people?
3: Right. If you're a contract milker and you've done a, a deal for $1.35 per kilo of milk solids or whatever, it, you are going to be, at least in theory, okay this year because you will get paid that money for every kilo of milk solids harvested. But your farmer may be going further and further into debt or whatever in order to be able to pay that given the current price of $7 because of the cost of production. So If you're a share milker, depending on the deal or the arrangement with the actual farm owner, you could be in deep strife. And I feel very worried about what has always been regarded as a very innovative, uh, sensible way of helping young farmers into farm ownership, because... It, um, sometimes they are the ones that will, well, they haven't got much equity, they're paying higher interest, yep. and, and they might be the ones that are really struggling this year. And I'm wondering, particularly in the, I'm thinking about whether we need to reconsider how we help these young people in and whether equity partnerships, which are slightly different from this sort of share milk business, might be the way to go in the future. And it's not going to be for two years whilst we get out of this mire.
2: Gentlemen, yeah, well, most businesses this time of year have to pay provisional tax, and we always found that a bugbear when we were farming because it was worked out on the previous year's income. Yeah. And the following year, the income's not going to be there to pay, and you've got to go yeah. cap in hand to say, "Please, can you lend over, increase my overdraft? and yeah. <laughs> cope with this."
3: Well, maybe the government will put out some comments. It has done things like suspend payments in the past or suggested it can you know, move things from a year to year. I think the accountants are working overtime at the moment to try and work out how they can help their clients. And that some of them are also trying to explain to the government, as are some of the banks and some of the um, primary industry consultants, but actually, the whole industry is under spice. And unless we uh, alleviate some of the pressure, um, there is going to be a nasty effect on the New Zealand economy. And some of the pressure is coming through government regulation that could be paused. I'm thinking the RMA re- replacement. I'm thinking the Haywaka Ekonoa process. I'm yeah. um, thinking the freshwater process. Some of the regional councils are being more punitive than the actual government regulations require. And they might like to think about how the primary sector supports the rural economy in their areas and have another think about what they're
2: doing. Now, sorry we're of getting towards the end here now. What are some of the measures that you can think of that dairy farmers should take at this stage? Because, you know, I've had accountants that said, don't spend anything until you get the money in your hand. Yep. And uh, always... Keep your bank manager informed. Is there anything I've missed there, Jacqueline?
3: No, keeping the bank manager informed is vital. And yes, about the expenditure, but keep your animals well fed because that's the way they do fewest greenhouse gases and least nitrogen loss, which is, of course, the environmental issue. And the other thing is to remember that New Zealand farmers are highly regarded So well regarded by everybody in the rest of the world who thinks we're doing a fantastic job and that we will get through this. And some people will decide that they want to do something else. It might be because they're, you know, in their prime of life, but strangely 70 or something. They might think grandchildren are a better focus for the future and that will allow younger people to come in. So we will get through this and everybody well. Good, innovative farmers are always considering what their next best option is. I have great faith and confidence in the New Zealand farmer.
2: Well, thank you, Dr. Jacqueline Rife, for that very interesting insight into daring for the next few seasons. Well done, and thank you, Jacqueline. Thank
3: you for the opportunity, Neville.
2: Now, here's Barbara Kuriger with her weekly summation of farming events that's caught her attention. Well, good morning, Barbara Kuriger. You're on the road. You're a good ambassador for farming. How's the grass growing around the country for the dairy farmers anyway, because they'll need it this year?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think probably what's slowing it down a bit at the moment, there's been a fair bit of rain this week, Neville. I know one night in Te this week, but it was Tuesday or Wednesday, it just absolutely poured all night. And, um, but I think as I move around, the temperatures are quite cold, and, uh, and that'll be keeping it a bit slower. Um, but, yeah, look, it's growing in places, uh, but certainly we'll be waiting to that, that sort of September time when it starts to make progress and we can start to see the, uh, supply outgrow the demand. There's still a few people yeah. feeding out. Uh, bit of hay and silage and supplements and things at the moment. So, um but yeah, and look it's obviously very hard, uh still want to acknowledge those people who are on the east coast uh who have been struggling to get feed, struggling to get supplements and oh. struggling to put their farms back together actually yeah. a bit hard for them at this time of the year. So um yes, I've been out and about this week I've um, Actually, started the week in Queenstown. I went down to have a look at uh, some conservation in my uh, role as conservation mm-hmm. spokesperson, and I was looking at restoration around uh, Lake Hayes. And so they're taking uh, a lot of willows out there. They're planning to put a lot of uh, more native trees in there and actually um, build the biodiversity up around the lake and just increase the water quality. They've built uh, a couple of sediment traps down there. So it's always good to see whichever area I go to, there's always keen groups. Uh, these ones were called Manitahuna, um but we visited a group called Southern Lakes who are doing a lot of... Um, Pest control, and they're all sort of linking arms and uh, trying to do everything they can, and in, um, in terms of getting rid of the pests, uh, putting a lot more native trees in, and improving the quality of waterways. It's been fantastic um, to see that. Uh, the other thing I encountered when I was in um, when I was in Queenstown was snow. So there's a bit of snow coming on their hills as they say um, and it's a lot of excitement down in Queenstown when it snows because of course their tourism industry yeah. had a hugely tough time and so um, it's been really good for them to, um, you know every time a bit of snow comes they get excited because it does actually help the economy of the town um, and it helps people's mindset when they get outside and go skiing as well um, Talking about mindsets, yesterday I uh, was in Raglan and um, went to a fantastic uh, new health and wellbeing initiative where it's, a, it's like a one-stop shop. So the doctor comes out uh, to uh, this marae uh, once a fortnight, uh, but they actually have uh, an open door where they have Plunkett there They have the fire service there, making sure everyone's got their smoke alarms. Uh, They have uh, different uh, tests, different health tests, um, a whole range of things. So there's about 14 uh, things that you can go, uh, 14 different stations you can go to in this one-stop shop. And I think it's an absolute way forward for our rural health communities because, you know, not only do people have to go a distance to get to doctors. Uh, but they also have to go to a distance to get to a lot of the services. And yeah. I think bringing all the services to the community on a particular day of the week um, is really good. Uh, and then we go from human health uh, to animal health and had a lovely lunch and visit with Neil and Sandra Chesterton uh, on Wednesday in Taranaki. And um, Neil and Sandra have uh, just written a book, uh, Sandra's written uh, Neil's story. The book's called Lame Stories. Looking forward to reading it because he's a well-known, internationally uh, acclaimed expert on lameness. Uh, and it's great that uh, Sandra's been able to capture a lifetime of work to date in this book. Um, really looking forward to, to reading it. And I suppose the other highlight of my uh, last week or two is I've been um, doing the introduction for the play The Vagina Monologues in Tekawiti and we've had some fantastic women uh, from Tekawiti, Pupu, uh uh, and Benny Dale actually doing some fantastic acting and I always think local talent is so amazing and for some of these women it was the first time they'd acted Uh, in a play on stage and I've been able to do the intro three nights out of the five they're doing it and uh, it's been uh, absolutely fantastic really enjoyed being part of it being part of the local community Uh, the audience has all got a buzz the participation, seeing local people uh, and uh, their talent and their acting has been fantastic so yeah, I've had a busy week, a busy recess week back to Parliament next week Neville for the final three weeks before we um, oh. finish
2: off for of the election oh well done and thank you Barbara and let 's catch up with Philip duncan's weather forecast and philip 's thoughts on why weather forecasts are important well it 's good to catch up with you again this morning Philip duncan what 's the weather going to be from Wednesday next week
1: well we 've got this really large area of low pressure coming through and It's sort of, um, you know, we, we are seeing a big uptick in high pressure around the country, especially over towards Australia and to our north and to our east even sometimes. But we're still getting lows crossing over New Zealand, and this week, um, is, a, is a classic example of that with a really large area of low pressure, basically engulfing most of New Zealand this week. But sometimes these big large lows don't really deliver a lot of pain and so that you can end up with um, a good bit of variety of weather. And because the low is large and over the top of us, not everyone has windy weather as well, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an odd week to have such a large load just sitting over us, but um, it's all part of the unsettled, uh, chaotic weather pattern that we're in, because we're still not yet in El Nino, although if you were to ask an Australian, they would tell you that it's already here, because... They're very much in a, in a much drier, settled weather pattern, except for maybe Tasmania and Victoria, which is a little bit more like New Zealand at the moment.
2: Philip, you do a YouTube presentation, so there's no lack of availability for where people can catch up with some of the information. Now, I've come up with a list of things I'd like your comments on. It's responsibility for yourself, looking ahead when it comes to the big outdoors, where you're climbing mountains, crossing rivers, Coastlines, people go out and bloody surf, and you know something else, everybody else does, they drive on our roads, and I think the roads up around Turangi Way, Desert Road, a, a disaster with ice and snow, and our UV levels, which are dangerous down here.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's like anything in nature. Um, we have to have some sort of personal responsibility. I'll give you a good example. In in America, well, I went to the Grand Canyon a few years ago, and there were no warning signs anywhere about the fact that there's a Grand Canyon there. There's no, no warning signs. In New Zealand, there'd be signs everywhere going, warning, cliffs, you know, all that sort of stuff. And in America, there's sort of this common sense approach, which is, You can see it. There's a giant cliff there. Um, Do you really need to put a warning sign up? Because in nature, you know, animals don't have warning signs, but humans, for some reason, we like to have our hand held all the time. And with weather forecasting, it's a really good example of why weather forecasters go a long way to try and help people uh, be aware of the risks. But it's still up to you on the day to double-check things like the rain radar and double-check things like are there any weather warnings today because not everything can be spoon-fed to you. And and so you have to have common sense out there. And so whether that's you going taking a school trip somewhere or going for a bush walk with your family or going surfing on your own, there's lots of different things you can do to be, be much more aware of the risks out there and never, ever just rely on what... The simple forecast says you know, I, I always say that to everyone The text forecast is one, only one part of the equation
2: Well thank you Philip For that but remember folks Where you can get it from weatherwatch.co And rural weather as well So well done and thank you for that Quick update Philip Duncan Thank you
1: Neville, much appreciated Before I go one last positive note for you The solar winter is over Which means now in the North Island We've got about an extra hour of sunlight Compared to the shortest day of the year
2: Good one A couple of weeks ago we heard Lindy Nelson Explaining why it's important That we take care on the farm Now I will take that statement further That we all need to take care Wherever we are whether it's crossing the street Railway crossings While looking at cell phones Or listening to such devices So take it away Evie With the BG staying alive
3: This show was made at Access Radio Tatanaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotatanaki.com.